As we come to the book of Joel this morning, I want you to keep those words in mind that we've just sung. He will hold me fast. Whatever life, whatever comes against me in life, if you're a believer, He will hold you fast. That's the truth of Scripture this morning. And as we look at the book of Joel in the Old Testament, and I'm giving you time to find it, by the way, so, get, you know, get on with it. Um, People in Joel's time were in extreme times, droughts, locusts, invasions, and they needed to be reminded that God was the God who would keep His promises to them. He would hold them fast. Nothing's changed. We just wear different clothes today. And so as we look at this book of Joel, if you weren't with us last week, we've looked at the first half of the book and that was the bad news. I called it the bad news of the gospel. People had to understand their predicament before they would fully appreciate the good news. And so we looked at the bad news. And the bad news that Joel brought his people was that before it gets better, it's going to get very much more worse. And so that's what we looked at last Sunday. So I thank you all for coming back. But today we promise that as through God's word, we're going to see the good news that we find in the book of Joel 2. And so let's go and look at this chapter. So we're going to be reading the rest of Joel. So you can say at least once in your life you've read through the whole book of Joel because we've done it in church. So Joel chapter 2, and I'll be starting my reading this morning in verse 12, just so that we can get the full scape of it here. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. So in the midst of all this disaster, hear the voice of the Lord. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows? whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the, the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I'm sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea, and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and the foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice. 
for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. I love that. Speaking as if it's already happened. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for He has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has, dwelt, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no one else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. You think you're even reading in Revelation. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You think you're in the book of Luke. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. How cheap life became. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon, and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the peoples of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. That's the opposite of in Revelation. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Revelation 14. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their evil is great. 
multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. What do we do with that? Tell me, as you read the big picture now of Joel, did you notice that in the midst of disaster, there's always, but come to the Lord and be saved. Come to the Lord, find mercy. You find that all the time. Nothing's changed. Judgment, mercy, always together. So let's see what the Lord does in this passage today. If you've been down into town, they've made some changes there with the traffic lights. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. If you go down Guyton Street, you'll come to a new set of traffic lights there. Us taxpayers have paid for that. And um, they've got countdown timers on there now. So you can actually see how much time you've got to walk across the road. And then you've got to stop walking across the road. And then if you carry on walking across the road, you're going to get ridden over. So that's the way they work, all right? There's a little principle in life there. You've got limited time to act, little green man. And then... Little red man's flashing. You've got to start making decision and then stop. No more time. It's a really good summary of the book of Joel. You see, nothing stays the same forever. In technology, we've got these advancing uh, traffic lights now. And in cell phone technology, everything changes. And yet, in many ways, as we live our everyday lives, spiritually... We seem to things, think that things have to stay the same. We have this attitude of everything will just carry on. We get into the daily plot of life and our attitudes to holiness get neglected for various reasons. Busyness. I get absorbed in a relationship maybe. Carelessness with my life. Maybe this Christianity thing is too much effort. Couldn't be bothered. Or maybe I'm chasing the career or chasing that elusive dollar which seems to always be out of my grasp. And typically, the way we tackle our holiness is we turn down the volume of our consciences and the Word of God that we hear. We turn the volume down on those things so that we can get on with life. And thereby, we grow callous to sin. And I explained that last time. We get thick skins. We get used to the sin. And after a while, we start giving it clever names to excuse it. We get callous to it. We get indifferent to our sin. It doesn't bother us the way it used to anymore. 
and we justify it. And then a major happening comes across our lives. Something could happen to us, a health scare. Or maybe a job loss, something big. Maybe a traumatic event, maybe even a national cat- catastrophe. And suddenly we are forced to focus again on what's important in life. Yes? Well, Scripture teaches us through the book of Joel that when these major events hit our lives, these are divine, take stock of your soul moments. When big things hit your life, the Lord, one thing the Lord is saying is, take stock of your life. Where are you with me? Not just to believers, but to unbelievers too. Where are you with the living God? It's not me saying this. God says that through His Word. And the other thing God does with big events in our lives is God in in our Christian lives sometimes uses adverse circumstances and very hard times to turn our stubborn heads back to Him again. To cut those calluses off our lives. Turn back to me, says the Lord. Have I got your attention? And He puts us back on Himself. We may go through such hard times that we have to cry out to the living God, Lord, help me or I perish. You see, He turns us back to Him. So when these big things happen in our lives, take note. The little red man is flashing at you. Take note. You see, right through the book of Joel, we see that this is what the Lord is doing. He's crying out to His people through the prophet, and He's saying to them in chapter 2, verse 12, Return to Me. In the midst of all this disaster and the locusts that seem to be increasing, there's nothing green in the land anymore. You don't know what to eat. Your stock is dying. Return to Me, says the Lord, with all your hearts, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Come to Me with true worship. Come to me and say sorry for the sin that I've committed before you, Lord. Don't just go through the motions of worship and come to church on Christmas and Easter's and think God will be happy with it. He wants your life in every single day of it to be in worship of Him. So why do these life-changing events and this urgent call to return to the Lord happen? It's because nothing stays the same. There will come a day, says the book of Joel, when time to change will run out. For now we are still in the flashing red man. You can still make decisions, but there will come a time when it will be stop. No more time to change. Are you ready for that, says Joel. The day of the Lord is coming, and he uses a small d in that. The day of the Lord. This is to be a picture in the small, even though it was overwhelming for the people, of a far greater day with a D, capital D, of the Lord, which is coming and is still ahead of you and me too. When the Lord returns and judges everyone over time. And this book was pointing forward to that. There'll become that appointed day when Yahweh, God Almighty, will judge unrepentant hearts. And in his time, in Joel's time, a little later, they hadn't listened. 
They'd go into exile. God's day of the Lord had come for them. And also, Israel's enemies would face God the judge, and they would be killed in their thousands and thousands. The day of the Lord, with a small d, would come. And it was all pointing forward to the day of the Lord's return when God will judge unbelievers. But Joel didn't know that. Through the inspiration of God, he was just saying what God had put on his heart to say. God knew the whole picture. And God knows the whole picture. And that's why you and I, in 2020, are studying this book of Joel. God is still speaking to us. Are we listening? So that was the bad news. Now I'll get to the good news. You see, it carries on. In chapter 2, verse 12 to 17, we have this transition where the Lord says, If you will come to me and repent, return to the Lord your God, because He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will forgive you, but come with a heart which is right. The Lord says, Come to me in the midst of this, and I will restore you to me. And I love this. There's restoration from the Lord available to us if we would only come and repent before Him. If we would only come before the Lord and say, yes, I have lived a life which isn't God-glorifying. Yes, I haven't been acknowledging you as the God in my life, the only God. Lord, thank you that there's forgiveness and restoration available. It's not just bad news. What does this restoration look like? It's the offer of God's grace to us. And it starts with God. He takes the initiative. He calls us. He turns us to Himself. He says, return to me, my people. Why does He do that? Is it because, just because He feels sorry for the land and the poor animals starving? Is it just because in Joel's time He's feeling sorry for these people who were suffering under all this stuff that is happening to them? Yes, he's lo He loves His people. He loves his creation, but that's not the real reason. We keep getting this phrase coming, in the sight of the peoples, in the sight of the peoples, in the sight of the peoples. What was that all about? God was concerned for the honor of his name. God is always, and I use the word concern, not as in a worried concern, but the focus of God is his own glory. He's not egotistical. He is God Almighty. The honor of His name is what is at stake. And He is to be glorified in the face of all peoples. And He will be glorified in the face of all peoples one day when He returns. But even for now, in the life of His nation Israel, He had to be glorified in the sight of the peoples. And they were going through hard times and they were starting to mock the people. You see, where's your God? Come on, where's this great Yahweh? Look what he's doing to you. He's letting you starve. God's honor was at stake. And so that's why it says there that he became zealous. Or if you've got a word in your translation, it might say, verse 18, the Lord became jealous for his land. The same word, zealous. Isaiah uses that too. The zeal of the Lord of God. His jealousy will accomplish these things. God is jealous for the honor and glory of His own name. You see, He made a covenant with His people, didn't He, long ago? He made a covenant with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 17. 
He made a covenant agreement with Moses at Sinai in Exodus and Deuteronomy, which we've just looked at. And that he, what did he say in that agreement? I will be your God. You will be my people. I will give you land. There are those three things. I will be your God. I have chosen to be your God. Not I am your God as you, you hold on to me and you belong to me. No. I have chosen to be your God. My eye has come to you. I want to be your God. He has chosen us. You will be my people. And I will give you an inheritance. There's the word for land. I will give you an inheritance. And those three things still stand for you and I as believers today. He still says to you and I, I will be your God. I've chosen you. I found you. I turned your head. I gave you life. And now you are mine. I will be your God. You will be my people. How? Through your obedience. Through the way you listen to me every day. Through the way you listen to what my word says to you. And I will give you an inheritance. And yes, you might not get a kingdom here on this earth, but one day you will get the inheritance the Lord has promised to you. Those three things still stand. And He will not break His covenant with His people. Rather, the one who had chosen to be their God, Israel, would restore them to Himself again. He would bring them back. He wouldn't allow them to carry on in their sin. He would turn their heads back to Him. His people, His land. And therefore He says, repent and I will restore you. I will restore your land. It's God who takes the initiative. I love this. He doesn't just leave them there. He blesses again, verses 19 to 26 of chapter 2. He blesses them again, step by step as you go through. We can't do it in all the lines we've already read, but you go through with your eye there on your Bible. Step by step, the Lord promises to undo all the damage that have been done. If you go and look at it carefully, all the damage that have been done, He step by step goes and restores in that order. The land had been destroyed, animals, land, animals. He blesses again. And so it goes on through. He undoes the damage and once again brings blessing to His people. Why does He do that? Very important. In verses 15 to 17, he says to them, Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast. He says, Come to my people, come to my temple, come and pray, and let no one be left out. Bring the woman, the children, the little babies who are being suckled, the bride and the bridegroom. And those days, when you got married, the bride and the bridegroom were given all things off. You could just go and spend time together all day and night if you needed to, but you had time for yourselves for a whole year. Whoa. The Lord says, no, no, bring even the bride and the bridegroom, bring everyone, suckling babes, everyone, bring them to my temple and come and plead before Almighty God. And the spiritual leaders are to plead before the Lord to forgive them. And then says the Lord, I will hear your prayers. It's a pity we don't hear that anymore much today when countries face national crises. Our country Neighboring countries, where do we hear the national pleas for God to intervene? You know, the last time I heard that was when I was a little boy in my own country of South Africa. When we were going through political turmoil, the leaders of the country got together. They called a national day of repentance. They asked all, children, all the churches to pray, and they asked all people to come before God. That's the last time I heard that in my life. The Lord hears the prayers of His people. 
The priests come before the Lord. They intercede for the people. And God says, I will once again bless you. I will hear your prayers. Because that's part of the restoration. You will no longer pray and feel that it's a brick wall. and Everything's just bouncing back at you. The Lord says, I will restore to you everything that I've promised because you've prayed. I will give you once again grain, new wine, oil, all those staple provisions they needed for their everyday needs. I will provide for your needs. But worship me first, says the Lord. Come before with your prayers. Don't worry about your everyday needs. I will look after them, says the Lord. You see, he had promised them in Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 11, and I know you won't remember that anymore, so I'll just say what it said, that he said, if you will honor me through your obedience, you will enjoy food in abundance. If you honor me, you will enjoy food in abundance. It's not prosperity teaching. It's obedience teaching. We are obedient to the Lord. He has promised, I will not even let the smallest little bird Get out of my eyesight. I will care for the birds of the field. How much more will I not look after you? Said Jesus. And so now he promises to heal their land by providing rain. And in Israel, they've got two cycles for rain. They've got early rain and later rain. October rain and March rain. First rain is for the seedlings. The second rain is to help the grains to just get a bit bigger. Just before harvest. That had all been gone. Because there was no harvest. The Lord says, I will give you rain again in your seasons, and then your crops will grow, your animals will have food to eat, and you will have bread on your tables. And I love, you see the Lord's heart here, even for the animals and for creation. I, I love this, he, he even speaks to the starving animals, he says, don't worry about your food, you will get food to eat again. It's amazing. Verses 19 to 26. The land will once again bear vegetation. And that's not all. The Lord says, I will drive out the invading armies. These armies that have come against you, they will be gone. I'm going to take them to a place of judgment, and they will be judged by the Lord. And we know from history that in their thousands, the Lord delivered the, the Philistines. And they were killed. He took them out of the land, and they were killed. And other nations who came out... Because he says they become an evil stench before me. Not because of who they are, but because of what they've done against the Lord and his people. Revelation picks up that picture again of the stench of evil before the Lord. And then in chapter 3, we're going to go in a little later now, we see that that's expanded. So the Lord blesses again. He takes the initiative, he blesses again, and then worship is restored, verses 26 to 27. When the people see how wondrously God has dealt with them, they break out in spontaneous praise because God is the promise-keeping God who dwells in the midst of His people. He is the Lord Yahweh, their almighty God. And this testimony goes out to the surrounding nations. Look what God is doing. He is a promise-keeping God. Have you been in a place like that? Where the Lord has really heard your prayers. You can't help but tell someone. Maybe he hasn't heard any prayers here. Have you told someone? You see, you can't help it. The Lord is on it when he answers our prayers. Because we bubble over with worship of the Lord. Because of what he's done. 
You see, he does love for, he does take care of his people. And God is glorified in the eyes of the nation. And that's not all. There's more here, verses 28 to 29. He says, I will make my spirit active again. You see, there'd been sin in the land. God's spirit hadn't been present there. In the Old Testament, God's spirit came and went. He came on people for specific tasks. But when there was sin, his spirit left. I will pour out my spirit again on your people. I'll pour it out on, he says, on all mankind. Now, the accuracy of Scripture. That was a, that was a cry that Moses sent to the Lord in Numbers eleven twenty nine. Lord, may your spirit come on all the nations. Wow, he's answered that prayer. Wow. Even in the small details, Scripture is accurate here. And we find instances all over the Old Testament where God's Spirit makes His presence known to people for a very specific task. King Saul, at the beginning of his ministry, the Spirit came upon him. But then it left him because he sinned. King David, the Spirit came upon him. He danced naked in the streets. Yes, that was the Spirit on him. But then he sinned before the Lord. And he cries to the Lord, Lord, remove not your spirit from me. He understood that in their dispensation, that's how it worked. Samuel, oh, sorry, in, so in Solomon's life, the beginning of his life, he was the wisest man God had made. The spirit was on him, but then he sinned. The spirit left him. However, this was just a partial fulfillment because it was pointing to a far greater day when the Holy Spirit would once again come on all nations. And this time, He would come on people and stay there with them. And what's that? The day of? Pentecost. Am I just, is this a long bow? Am I just saying, yeah, okay, the Spirit came on, and now, yep, that's how it should work? No, no. The Apostle Peter tells us that's what happened. How do I know that? Look in Scriptures. Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. What happens there? Peter quotes the book of Joel. First five verses that we've been reading here today. He quotes these verses, and then he says, and this has now come about. So he's interpreting what happened in the book of Joel in the New Testament. Scripture interprets Scripture. We must listen. So I wasn't pulling a long bow, sorry. Scripture said so. And so we see that in the book of Joel, the Lord is pointing forward to that day when as the disciples were gathered there in prayer, the Holy Spirit descended on them like flames of fire. And they were speaking in tongues, different dialects of people all over the nations. And then they were equipped and the Holy Spirit would stay on them because He was now God's gift to them. The Helper had come. Fantastic stuff, this book of Joel. And also it was a spiritual marker for the last days, when, which started with the Messiah's arrival, says Hebrews 1-2. And I haven't got time to go there now. And when the Messiah will once again come, Jesus Christ says, Luke chapter 21, Jesus' own words. This was a marker. The Holy Spirit will descend on the people. It was a marker for the last days. And so that means you and I, as we sit here in 2020, we are in the last days. We are in the little man going red like this saying, make your decision. Last days. The next one's going to be stop. And then chapter 3. 
And we've kind of looked at this already, but it's just a future projection of what will happen on that day of the Lord. Capital D, when the Lord comes again. There'll be judgment for unbelievers or the nations, verses 1 to 17. The nations will be summoned on that future day of the Lord. They'll receive the heavenly subpoena that summons. When the trumpet of the Lord sounds, all nations will appear before the Lord. You will have no option. You can't send a little sick note saying, I can't be there today, as you do for jury duty. When the Lord summons you, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, you will appear before the throne of the Lord. He will summons you. All of us. And there the Lord will judge unbelievers and believers. He will judge unbelievers and he will be the prosecutor and the judge. He will put the complaint before the judge and then as judge he will answer that complaint and say guilty. You never trusted in my son, my gift to you, guilty. And there will be no more time to change your mind. Because time of judgment has started. In Israel and Judah's day, the foreign nations would, be, would come in and God's people going to exile and they'd be sold into slavery and the nations would rob God's temple of its treasures. And they would be judged for that. And he says, I will call them up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now some people get sidetracked by this. They go in Israel go and look for where is this valley of Jehoshaphat? Because we have to make sure that you know, the Lord's going to be judging there. Now, you've missed the point. The Valley of Jehoshaphat, we've got to look at the name. What does it mean? It means the Valley of Judgment or the Valley of God's Decision. Jeremiah calls it the Valley of Slaughter. Same thing. Same moment. There comes a time when God will judge all the peoples of the world. And he says, are you ready? Repent. There is still time. And then there's a blessing to believers. You see, we're going to be judged too. But that same one who lays the, the, the prosecution, Jesus Christ, he will be the judge. And at the same time, and God will sort this out in heaven how he does this, he will be the one who stands up and says, I've laid the complaint. I also have the answer. I have died for these people that I love. They are not guilty. And the judge will reply, they are not guilty. And then we'll go into that blessing which the Lord has promised us. And this isn't future pie in the sky stuff. This is the reality which for many of us have started already. Doesn't the Lord bless us? Doesn't He multiply the things He gives to us? It's just a small part of what will come. But one day He says, I will be the refuge and the stronghold for my people. Why? Because we will be right there with the Lord. Yes, He's with us now, but we will be always in the presence of the Lord in a very special way in heaven one day. When He comes to live among His people, there will be no more moral and religious defilement. I will no more be making excuse for sin because there will be no more sin in me. He'll have taken it all away. I'll not struggle with those little daily things that keep tripping me up. Why? Because the Lord will make me perfect. He has promised. No more sin. And then I love the use of opulent words here. Look at chapter 3 verse 18. The valleys, the mountains will drip. They will flow. Never again. Do you hear the opulence? 
It's going to be more than you ever dreamt of. And much more blessing than you could ever imagine. And says the book here, a spring will go out from the house of the Lord. I thought I was reading Revelation. But you see, Revelation, because we've studied it as a church, is referring back to the book of Joel. And so it confirms that he was prophesying about a time to come. When the river, which is the Lord himself and our sustenance, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, will, it, our very life will flow from the house of the Lord, the place where the Lord dwells. You see, there will be no temple there, says, says Revelation. The Lord himself will be our temple. Life will come from him. All life will be sourced around him because the Lord dwells in Zion. Man, is that not a blessing to look forward to? And so, yes, the Lord might not give you the flash house and the car and, and all those things that you kind of were thinking that's, that's real blessing. But does He give you breath every day? Does He give you the ability to think and to reason? Does He give you the ability to walk around? Not be in wheelchairs and things like that. And if you are in wheelchairs and if you are going through a body that's given in, is the Lord not giving you breath every life, every day of your life? When you look in the mirror, it's you. He blesses us. And He gives us things that we couldn't imagine. And then He says, this is a small part. Look forward to the day when it will all be magnified. And I will dwell with you and you will be my people. What do we do with that? I want to do two things with that. The first thing is this. The Lord says to you and I this morning in 2020, return to the Lord. We've come to this book of Joel. It's the book of God before us as a church now. He says to you and I, repent. It's not too late yet. The little red man is still flashing. So make a conscious decision to turn away from and to turn to something. Right? That's what the word repent means. It means I, I make a conscious decision. I am not going to live like this anymore. I now want to live this way. I turn my back on it. Repent, says the Lord. And that means in our daily lives, in the decisions we make, in our attitudes towards Him, we are to live in the face of God. Koram Deo. Live in the face of God. God is right around us. He's with us. He's in us. And yet sometimes we think we can just live and God won't see what we're doing. Live in the face of God. And be reminded of that. Be aware of His comforting presence. Be aware of His all-seeing eye. And it will have an influence on the way you think and then the way you live. Because thoughts lead to actions. Lord, you're right here with me as I'm driving this vehicle. Koram Daya. Let me live in a way which pleases you. That's my biggest prayer always. You all have our weaknesses. Bring them to the Lord and live in His face. And your sins will be taken away. They will. Those bad habits will start getting stripped away from you. And you will start leading a life which is pleasing to God. Your thought life, your lived life. Talk to Him all the time even if people think you're mad. Talk to the Lord. Why? It's a way of knowing He's with me. It's a good reminder, you know. When you're driving, you need parking. Lord. He doesn't always answer that one. 
but talk to Him. It's His presence with us. He wants that everyday relationship with us, not, I'm going to church now, so, oh, yep, got to put on the face. Morning, Lord. He wants that everyday relationship with us, that casual relationship too. And everything you do, around the barbecue, speak to the Lord. Barbecue in the face of God. What do you talk about? When you go to the rugby matches or, oh, we won't talk about that now. When we go to sports events, do it in Quorum Deo. Do it in the presence of the Lord. He wants that everyday relationship. It's not the religious stuff he wants. He wants your every bit of life. Everything you do. Whether you work for him, your career, everything you do for him. Quorum Deo before the Lord in his presence. Repent, says the Lord. Come back to me in every part of your life. And then secondly, if we repent, He will restore and bless. Now, some of you, and some of you might not have been in the situation yet, but some of you might be that you're in a dark, dark, dark valley. You see no way out as a believer. And sometimes you feel it's just too much. The Lord says to you, come back to me. I will restore. I will bless. There is hope. There is an answer. I will restore and bless you. There is an inheritance waiting for you. The tears of the struggle aren't forever. I will restore the worship that comes my way from you. I, you will know once again that relationship of being in with your Father and being in His presence. You will know once again the joy of answered prayer. Your prayers won't be bouncing off the ceiling anymore. I will hear you and answer your prayers, says the Lord. My spirit will work in you, and you will know I am with you. But look to the Lord and come back to Him, and He will answer those prayers. And therefore, in the words of that song we're going to sing now, listen to these words and how much sense they make now. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain or whatever else is big in your life. Leave to thy God to order and provide. It's not your worry. God will look after you. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Man, that could have been Joel. It's fantastic. 